This morning we are going to be in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, if you'd like to turn there with me today. And I thank you for the opportunity to share with you this morning and for uh, those of you who were able to come out today. Um, I realize that in some places the ice was a little worse than others. And so thank you for being here today. This message this morning is entitled, Holiness Requires Wholeness. And to give a little context to the passage we're checking out this morning, Moses uh, is who uh, we're giving our attention to in part. Moses, uh, obviously a familiar character in the scripture, a man who's called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, where they've been refugees and slaves at this point for some 430 years. Uh, The Israelites are God's chosen people who he's established a personal relationship with. At this point, uh, we see in time they'll be known more uh, specifically as the Israelites, now still known as the Hebrew people. Uh, and he has engaged in an intimate relationship with them, a relationship of trust and love uh, and in protection and encouragement and so on. And Moses, uh, in his calling to uh, serve the Lord, has been uh, attempting to get these folks out of Egypt and out of uh, Pharaoh's control. Uh, he's gone to Pharaoh and pleaded with him uh, to release them, and that has not been effective. And God, uh, in turn, has released plagues on the Egyptian people, and that has not been effective. And so uh, Pharaoh continues to uh, reign over these Israelite people. By the time we reach today's passage, Pharaoh and all of Egypt have faced eight devastating plagues, uh, which have really changed these folks' lives in this period of time in many ways. We see in chapter, I mean, excuse me, in verse 20 in chapter 10, uh, it says that God has hardened Pharaoh's heart, which uh, sometimes is a little bit of a confusing idea, but essentially what it means is that Pharaoh is inclined to rebel, and so God is allowing that to take place. God is, uh, is allowing Pharaoh to uh, be disobedient to the will of God that he is attempting to accomplish through Moses. As we begin today, our goal in checking out this passage, examining it and thinking on it is to uncover this truth again, holiness requires wholeness. In our time, we are at a crossroads of some interesting division within the global Christian church, at least in name, if not in theology. Not only have we had different denominations for centuries now, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, and so on, but today, even in our divisions, we continue to find more and more divisions. We see uh, reformed churches, mega churches, non-denominational churches, churches surrounding particular people groups, cowboy churches, biker churches, and others. And for those in church leadership, these distinctions are a part of daily conversation. These are things Charlie and I discuss uh, about our church and what's happening here in Asheville and other things. But for the average person, Christian or non-Christian, these distinctions are usually overlooked. If you were to ask somebody what's the difference between this denomination and that, a lot of times our response is kind of superficial, you know, different kinds of music or the pastor wears different kinds of clothes. Not that anyone's expecting you to know the distinctions, but just to say that's kind of where our focus tends to move toward. Meanwhile, above all these various distinctions we have in the global Christian church, and again, I'm speaking of Bible-believing individuals born again through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have one principle that unites us above everything else, and that again is 
the fact that Jesus is God's son who died on a cross and rose from the grave. And if we believe unto him, we will be with him for eternity. But the interesting part in even that is beyond just salvation, this faith that we are a part of, if you're a Christian this morning, or if you're a non-believer and you're wondering about this faith, is we are called to a total allegiance to Jesus Christ as our Lord, or ruler, or controller, or guide in every aspect of our life. This faith calls us to surrender our entire existence, our walking, eating, sleeping, breathing, waking, sleeping existence, everything that we are made up of, knowing we have God's full favor and are forgiven of sin when we accept Christ's sacrifice. In our modern era, we get caught up in doing things the right way in order to please God, even those of us who profess to be Christians. However, holiness is more than just an action. It is a full and total commitment of who we are to God and his good work. So this morning, again, we're checking out Exodus 10, 21 through 29, keeping in mind this idea that holiness requires wholeness. I'll first read uh, out of the New Living Translation. Again, this is Exodus 10, 21 through 29, and it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all the time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light, as usual, where the people of Israel lived. Again, these are God's chosen and called people. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses, Go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said, you must provide us with animals and sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals, and we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you. Never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. And I'd like to read this also out of the English Standard Version to help us to have a little bit of an understanding, again, of uh, the language and context we're using. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see me in my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Holiness requires wholeness. And in this regard, it requires our whole trust. Have you ever been to uh, one of these places uh, where there's these caverns you can go in, you know, that are like down underground? Uh, there's uh, Linville Caverns in Marion, or maybe you've been to Carlsbad, New Mexico. 
Recently, I took uh, our students to the Forbidden Caverns in Tennessee, and uh, it's deep underground. Uh, and while we're while you're down there, you know, there's that part of the tour where they cut all the lights off. And and so we were down there in the the cavern, and the guide instructed us that he was going to cut off the lights, and he did. And it was like total darkness. And when I say that, I mean like, you know how you go outside sometimes at night and there's your porch lights on? No porch light. The stars are out, no stars. You are almost as if you're blind. You can't see anything in front of you. I think that correlates in some way to our passage today. You can feel that darkness. In, in that, you can feel the anxiety of it. First, people, when the lights get cut off, they kind of gasp a little. And then there's a little bit of giggling and your eyes are straining to see. And I already can't see that well anyway, so you can imagine what that's like. But then, after that, after that kind of gets out of the way, you don't hear anything except for, like, breathing. And it sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? And you know that there's people, like, right in front of you, and there's people behind you, so you can't move either. Like, you're stuck right there in this pitch darkness, and it's creepy. Then after the guide runs it just long enough to where it's getting uncomfortable, they turn the lights back on, and there's gasps again of relief. For those moments that we were in uh, these caverns, and maybe your experience has afforded your knowledge as well, it seemed longer than just a few seconds. Because again, you feel blind, you can't move, and you can't help yourself. You're stuck, and you're at the mercy of a man with a switch. And Pharaoh's thinking, this man or this God with the switch over the lights of Egypt was named Amun-Ra. This was the sun god and at this time the principal god of the Egyptians. In fact, this had been a merging of two different gods who had come together uh, at this particular time in Egypt's history. And this god would raise the sun as the Egyptians understood it and lower it. And each morning when they would look for the rising of the sun, they knew that God's favor rested on the Egyptians. And so they knew that when that sun would come up, that they had pleased Amun-Ra with their sacrifices, the sun indicated that he was blessing them. The word darkness meant something like chaos. And in fact, this word in our Bible means something like chaos. Because when the darkness came and the light went down, the Egyptians went back into their homes, back into their temples. They didn't work like we do. They didn't have street lights to guide them on the road. They stayed inside. Because darkness meant something about Amun-Ra's favor not being present at that particular time and in that particular moment. Imagine today that we hear in the news that God is dead. Well, that would probably lend us to have a little sense of chaos. Even Atheists would have some backward hope of theirs dashed. And for those who believe in God, it would crush our understanding. For the Egyptians, when darkness came, as our passage today indicates, it was devastating. Because what that meant is that the blessing of their sun god, their principal god, had left them. Total darkness also meant a lack of productivity. As you know, if uh, the sun isn't uh, their crops die, and even in a short amount of time that can happen. And so for the Egyptians, uh, that meant their crops were dying, their work was halted. They were not able to do anything for this three-day period. 
And so not only did they experience spiritual devastation in that they were devastated that the God that they worshipped had lifted his blessing off of them, or so they thought, they also had some physical challenges as well. This darkness was designed by God to disrupt the normal order of the Egyptians, to wake them up to God's power. And when I say God here, we mean the God of Israel, our God, and their total weakness. Now, the Israelites knew this power. While they were slaves and they worked daily, ate daily, and lived regular lives somewhat similar to the Egyptians, they did so honoring God in speech, conduct, and leisure when they had it. They were faithfully following God in their lives because they knew him intimately. He had chosen them, and they knew they could trust him even when things got dark. But the Egyptians, as we said, they followed Pharaoh and other gods. And in fact, it is understood at this time that Pharaoh is a son of the sun god. And so if the sun god had put out the sun and the man that was the son of the sun god, S-O-N, S-U-N, you can figure that out then that meant that there was a serious lack of power behind this Egyptian leadership because the lights were out. As it turned out, the Israelites have light in their homes, as our passage tells us, but the Egyptians, when crisis struck, were in crippling darkness. You see, there is much that we count on in this world to maintain us when crisis strikes. Some of us today have come here placing... Our trust not in Jesus, but in our possessions. We believe that when we face challenge, that we'll have a home to live in and a car to drive and clothes to wear. And as of last month, folks in California believed that who faced a mudslide. And many of them lost clothes, home, car, and some lost life. Others have come living on love. We've come in here believing that Life is going to throw all kinds of challenging things at us, but if we've got our baby there with us, we'll be okay. I see some smiles out there, and it's a good thing. But we have to know that even in these human bonds we have, that we can't count on the one sitting beside us forever. Because challenge will come. Death will come. And as we get misguided about what God's plan is for marriage, divorce may come as well. Others have come with only themselves to count on. You don't need God. You don't need anybody. You got you. And yet in the darkness of night, you sit your head on your pillow and desire companionship that you can't find and isn't coming. Like Pharaoh, whatever power we trust in, when crisis strikes emotionally or physically and we are in darkness, we soon come to find there is no power and no hope in our ability, our possessions, or in other people because we have one hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ our Lord. For every man, for every woman, for every boy and girl, that is our only hope. That hope is God. That hope is Christ Jesus. If you have come in these doors confident today that your hope is resting in something else, listen clear to the warning. Darkness is coming. And that darkness may be in the trials of life or it may be in the darkness of death, but Jesus Christ is calling you to put the full weight of your confidence and hope in Him. Today you're called to stop trusting yourself and start trusting in Christ. 
Our text goes on to verse 23, which says again, They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. You see, holiness requires wholeness in that it requires our whole commitment. As Billy kindly mentioned, my birthday is tomorrow. And I'm not, like, afraid of it, but it's a little weird, you know. I mean, I, reflecting on what 30 would be like when I was 15, it wasn't this. But I'm thrilled to be here. It just wasn't this. <laughs> and I had an opportunity to talk with one of my friends this week about uh, how, as I look over these years, um, we've gotten into a season the past 10 or 5 years of my life where some of the patriarchs and matriarchs of, of my experience here at Starnes Cove have begun to pass away. And some of you have seen that. For some of you, you've known these folks as adults, but knowing some of these individuals who have left us in these past five or ten years as a child is a little different. These people, when I looked at them, were like saints in my experience, I guess you could say. And some of you who are still with us today are as well. Many great leaders are uh, leaving us uh, and uh, hopefully being with the Lord in their eternal resting place. As I thought about, about some this week, I thought about Tony Waldrop. Now, Tony was a little um, rough around the edges in humor and language from time to time. But you would not know that Tony had one of the most tender touches of encouragement to me in these years that I've been serving with you. He would come into my office and say things to me that I haven't heard from many others about how much of a blessing it is for me to be able to serve here with you and what a blessing I am to you and so on. And so in challenging days, his encouraging word was a rich blessing. It remains such even to this day. Another individual, Jack Radford, a lion of a man in many ways, including the size of his hands. Jack actually got me here at Starnes Cove. Uh, The very first contact my family had with Starnes Cove Baptist was through Jack Radford. I would not be here with you today if it had not been for his commitment to reaching our community. I believe that the Bible talks about how we're going to have our treasure stored up in heaven, and when I die, I will be one of Jack Radford's treasures because he helped me to understand who Jesus is. And as of late, we've had the passing of Joyce Blazer. Well, along with it being my birthday, uh, Thursday is my nine-year anniversary of serving here with you. And there have been many, many good and blessed days, and also some challenging days. We are a motley crew here at Starnes Cove, and in the best way possible. And that sometimes means that uh, there are concourses we have to go on together in order to find out what God's good plan is. And in those days that have been challenging, it was people like Joyce and people like some of you that I would seek out uh, for encouragement. Because Joyce's demeanor, and again, those who follow Jesus' demeanor, ought to be one that's encouraging, loving, and uplifting. And so when I would come across her uh, here in this church, I would sense uh, that sweet spirit that would uplift me and help me to have clarity about the good work that God was doing. But listen clearly to what I say about her. As I talk about Joyce or anybody who has this sweet spirit about them, I'm not talking about a personality inclination to kindness. I'm not speaking here about somebody who just happens to be naturally kind. I mean that... Inside of this woman was the Holy Spirit, which transformed her to bless us, to bless me, and to bless you. 
We, as Christians, have this same spirit residing in us. We can compare it to an uplifting and encouraging attitude, or we can compare it to the light that the Israelites experienced in that dark day, dark days in Egypt. For that woman in my life, I could see the Holy Spirit residing in her, and it's something I desired for encouragement. It's a question we ought to ask ourselves as well. When people come across us, do we exude that light to those around us? Whatever comes, we are called Christians to dispense the joy of salvation that resides in us. Previously, we said we have one hope, and it is in Christ. For those of us who know him, we know that is true, or at least we ought to. And because Jesus died on a cross and rose from a grave and then offers us salvation freely, strictly by belief, strictly by trust and repentance and change in our life, what ease we have to come into his good glory. What a terrible sacrifice he must have made, we know he made, in his death. This is a cause to express light, joy, and the good pleasure of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Just as the Israelites demonstrated that in Egypt, so too are you and I called Christians to dispense the light of the Holy Spirit that lives in us to the world around us. Because our hope doesn't rest in anything except Him, and He's never changing. He's always the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. And so if our hope is built into that, then it's something we can count on and trust forever. And ought to be shown on our faces, and in our speech, and in how we live. We know the Israelites were in the light because they had trusted in God who offered to save them from their enslavement and ultimately their sin. And you see, Pharaoh wanted Moses to change his plans. If you go back to our text, yes, he could leave, but he needed to leave people here. But these people were an essential part of the community that God had built. Needed to leave animals here in our passage, previously people in verse, uh, or chapter 8 and 9. Now, now animals. They were an essential part of God's calling and sacrifice. God had built this community to be a light to the rest of the community. And Egypt, as darkness was devastating the Egyptian neighbors, the Israelite had, Israelites had light in their homes. And so you can imagine the Egyptians, they were in darkness for three days, but they saw something happening out there. Do you see that? That light in that house? What is that about? Who are these people? Why are they living this way? How can we get access to that as our crops die and we suffer? Exodus 6, 6-7 says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. This was the promise the Israelites were counting on in the middle of this dark hour because they knew that God was faithful and that they were his people. That was a direct promise from God that could be trusted, and they believed it. And how do we know their hope was effective? Because again, when the chips were down, the lights were on. He fulfilled and would fulfill his promise. This is the cause for us, for them, to trust and to celebrate with joy the work that he does and the promise he keeps. I had the honor of visiting with Joyce a few days before she passed. 
She wouldn't have known, but that particular day I was stressing about the toil of my life, a lesson to teach that day, a student to counsel, a bill to pay. Yet I witnessed a woman who was on the brink of her last days, not that she had a bad day, not that she had a client leave her business or her car broke down or she made a bad grade at school. This woman was on the brink of death. And she was smiling. And she was laughing. And she was speaking with me. Because you see, Joyce, that smile that I've seen for these 25 years that I've been here at Starnes Cove, in her life and in some of your lives, it wasn't dependent upon earthly life. It wasn't dependent upon health. It wasn't dependent upon struggle. It wasn't dependent upon hardship. It was dependent upon Christ's promise, which she trusted. And she knew that God would fulfill that promise when she met him the first time and at the end and on into heaven. Encourage your neighbor who doesn't know Christ to come to worship him. Be intentional about smiling more to the clerk at the store. And when they ask why, let them know. Patiently listen to your wife's hard day and pray over her. As the light shined in those faithful Israelite households, you better believe many Egyptians wondered why. So too, in this dark age we live, when our light shines, people wonder why as well. So closing here in our last section of our passage, this is 24 through 29. I keep going to the wrong, I guess they're all the same Bible, but you know what I mean. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you, only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burn offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Holiness requires wholeness, our whole sacrifice. We know the Egyptians were in darkness because their hope rested in a man and a God who couldn't help them in this dark hour. We know that the Israelites had light because they trusted a God who would help them in any hour. And you see, Pharaoh wanted Moses to change, as we said, his plans to leave first people in a previous chapter and now livestock behind they would need for sacrifice. Moses knew no half commitment would work. He needed all of it, the people, the animals, everything. If we read in verse 28, we see Pharaoh's response. A hard heart and get away from me. In his rage, he escalated his response to Moses. Previously, he had been dissatisfied with Moses, unhappy with Moses. Now he's threatening Moses' life. Because he knew his options were coming to an end. He knew that this man who had been so resilient, so faithful, and the people who followed him who had stayed on track... They weren't going down easy. They were going to stick with their God even in the middle of challenge that would come. Moses proclaimed that message that God had given him and Pharaoh heard that word. And he knew that there was nothing left in Egypt for Moses. And in fact, this final part of this passage, I think we might find some wisdom from Pharaoh, oddly enough. If you come back here, you're going to die. Now, there would be another plague that would come 
And finally, the Israelites would be set free, chased down by a delirious Pharaoh, but ultimately they would be free. However, these light-bearing Israelites who had been fully committed to God, had been faithfully following Him, bore the name of Israelites in their community, loved God, sought Him, worshipped Him, tithed to Him, whatever was required. They would make their way out of Egypt. They would cross the Jordan. They would wind up in the land that God had promised them and He was continuing to speak to them through that Mount Sinai. And they would fall apart. These people... The faithful ones. The ones God kept the light on for. They would go down a different path. They would remember something about the good work God had done. But in this particular moment, at this particular time, on into our story, they would change their allegiance. These people. God's people. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think speaks a little bit to the challenge that they face and we face in this day. The Christian way is different, harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to kill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. It doesn't matter. I want the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will become yours. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self. All your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves. To keep personal happiness as our great aim in life. And yet at the same time, be good. We are all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition and hoping. In spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And this is exactly what Christ warned us we could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall, not produce, I shall produce grass and not wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must plow up the seed and replant it. You see, the Israelites who had escaped the darkness, who had been filled with light, had allowed themselves to get distracted in this later part of their story, to lose focus and to begin to think the darkness had something to offer them. You might think going back to the promises of your old life, there's something there for you. As if the Life you used to live has some good pleasure. Now you might listen to their story and think, well, they just wanted to go back to what the Egyptians had. They are cast out into this wilderness for a time. They want to go back to the stability and the good reward of the Egyptian life. Well, if you recall, the Egyptians had it pretty bad there for a little while. Their river was made up of blood, and their locusts were all over the place, and they had boils on their skin, and their children were dead. So I don't think that's what was enticing the Israelites. No, once the Israelites got out of Egypt, what they wanted to go back to was the old stability of the life they used to have. You see, in the desert, where they would end up once Pharaoh let them go, things got messy. They always had what they needed, but not always what they wanted. They could always count on God giving them what was necessary to do His will, but not much more than that. They could always trust that He would love them, be with them, encourage them. The relationship He started way back before with Abraham, they could trust that. But that was about all they could trust God for. 
into the desert, they were never sure where they were going to be sleeping, what clothes they might be wearing, what they might do with their leisure if they had it. Because God didn't promise them that. But He did promise He would always take care of them if they were obedient. At least when they were slaves in Egypt, they might not have had much, but they had some control. They might have been given rags, but at least they had some rags. They might have lived in mud houses, but at least they lived in a shack. They might have been beat weekly, but at least they knew who was beating them. They might have had their families murdered by the Egyptian guard, but at least they knew who was going to kill them. Do you see how crazy that sounds? We're going back to a way because it was stable? Well, this is how we live. And I'm speaking to Christians here. I'm speaking to myself. If you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then God has promised to provide what is necessary for you to accomplish His goodwill. He has promised to love you, to protect you, and to take you into heaven when you die. And many of us have taken Him up on that promise, and yet we are living like we want to be back in the past, back in slavery, back in the darkness. Every time we grumble about the songs our church sings not being our style, we act like we're ready to be dead again. Every time we listen to gossip from another Christian about anyone, we act like we want to jump back in the grave. Every time we watch a movie that's full of half-naked people, and yeah, I'm talking about pornography, but I'm also talking about some of the stuff we're going to be streaming on Netflix this afternoon, we act like we want to be destined for hell again. Every time we air out our drama or graceless opinions on Facebook, we act like we can't wait to get back in the past. Every time we go back to the bottle or back to the pills or back to the drugs, we are acting like a corpse. Every time we crawl back into bed with a person that we're not married to, we act like we wish we were crawling back into our coffin. Every time we neglect to read the Word of God or worship with other Christians or ignore the opportunity to share the Gospel, myself included, we act like we wish that we were under Satan's power again. Christians, we are called to be full of the light of the Gospel. And we are called to a model that isn't your neighbor. The person sitting beside you who professes Jesus Christ as Savior isn't your model. The person who is called good in our community isn't your model. The person who professes Christ out in your world necessarily isn't your model either. Jesus Christ is our model. And in Christ, as He was up on that cross, we could see if we were there, the light of salvation streaming out of Him as He came out of that grave three days later. This is the example we are called to. To demonstrate the gospel to our neighbors in our speech and conduct, in the way we use our finances and our goods, in the way we spend our time and our leisure. We are called to show Jesus to a lost world that is living in darkness for more than three days. And if we don't do something about it, some of them will live in darkness forever. Jesus asks for our living, breathing, watching, eating, talking, sleeping selves. We are called to follow His example. This is our calling. This is the light we are to be filled with. And this is how holiness requires wholeness. Some have come this morning walking in darkness, and you've heard that there is a great light shining through salvation in Christ, and this is the day to make a commitment to be a part of His family. We oftentimes sit around wandering where, wandering and wondering where God's Spirit is going to move us. Well, salvation is not something we have to wait on. He is calling you this day to it. Some of us have come, and we, we are extending, extending 
the light of the gospel everywhere we are. Be empowered and encouraged this day. That as people see the light on in your soul, they wonder how they can get access to that. And some of us have come today, myself included, and we continue to want to go back in the grave. Get out of the grave. Get into the light. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word. I thank you for your faithfulness to the Israelites. I thank you for your faithfulness to me. Lord, as we ponder this word, everybody in this room is called to something. It may be to repentance, it may be to salvation, it may be to a change of life, or it may just be to jump off that cliff and do that thing that's required for them to show that light in that world. Whatever it is that you're calling them to, help us to be committed to it. Help me to be committed to you. Help us to stop trying to crawl back in the grave. We are called to holiness, and that requires our whole self. Our passage discusses a light that can fill us, a darkness that could also be filled, and I pray that you call us to the light today. Amen. As we sing a hymn this morning, know that I'm here, of course, to pray with you down front, and the altar's open as well, but whatever decision you need to make about your own commitment to Christ, whether it's in salvation, if it's in recommitment, if it's in a change of how you're living, make that decision today in your pew at the altar with me or another church leader, anybody in here who's a Christian will be able to pray with you. But do work with your God today. All right, ready to sing. Yeah.